see you complete me it's me crystal with me as always is luke you had me at hello a thing i don't think i said last time no i've been doing too many bits lately i just need a good old-fashioned intro for a good old-fashioned superhero flick because we're we're closing out our 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 marvel age we're saying goodbye to marvel sending him off with uh the classic with the classic 2003's daredevil director's cut uh-huh uh-huh was a real pain in the ass to find the director's cut, and I'm not, I didn't watch the original to compare, but, um, be interested to know how worth it it was. <laughs> I mean, I watched the original when it came out, and then I think I watched it again on, like, FX years later. Okay, yeah, I did not watch it on TV ever, but I did see it in theaters when it came out. So I kind of remember the differences. They're mostly front-loaded. Uh-huh. Uh, they definitely expanded his, like, childhood section a lot. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And they added the subplot with Coolio. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so that's not in the theatrical cut. No. I see. Yeah, and they, there's like a little more Electra scenes, and they kind of change around the order of some scenes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Basically, um, the theatrical cut was a lot shorter, like significantly shorter. And it was, yeah, like a half hour shorter. And it was, it, it cut out a lot of the origin. It framed like the finale more as like, well, I got to get revenge for you killing my girlfriends, mm-hmm. which it kind of still is. But right. there's also the element of like, uh, uh, hap- uh not happy. <laughs> What's his fucking name? It's an H. Uh, I don't remember. Foggy. That doesn't have an H. <laughs> that, that's got nary an H Foggy Nelson. <laughs> Doing the, the whole plot on Coolio so he can find out that the Kingpin's guilty so he can call the cops on. Right. I think this is the first um, movie we've watched is just like a street level hero beating up gangsters. Yeah, like the first Spider-Man movie had that in like the first half, but then it kind of builds to something a little bigger. Yeah, this isn't really a space that Marvel Studios plays in. Right. Yeah, boy. I I feel like this is a bad movie, but it's bad in a different way than I'm used to having to look at, so it was a little refreshing in that regard. Really? I I think I'm a little more positive than you on this movie. I think it has classic Marvel disease of beefing it in the third act. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I think, like, the first 40 minutes of this movie were just, like, a good movie. I... I thought it was a perfectly fine movie. I did not. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say good. On on letterbox.com, I gave this three stars. Yeah, I might go like two and a half. But if I'm st- if I can't do half stars, then yeah, three probably Cl- closer to three than two. You know, we've done a minuses and pluses this whole time. Jackson comes on this show one time and roasts us for it. And now you're 
No, no, I didn't really agree to Jackson on that. I just already committed to the letter grades on this. Oh, I see, I see. Hmm. Like, actually, really, I'm more of a, a Ebert-style four-stars person. I haven't given one star to any sure. film. Oh, I see, I see. No, I want to get granular. Let's I, let's go full, you know, 100-point scale. Okay, yeah. Uh, how good is uh, a, a Daredevil on the 100-point scale? I'd say, like, uh, 73. Three. Okay, how's that compared to, like, um, Avengers Age of Ultron? Age of Ultron gets, like, a 66. That's basically the same score. No, that is a that is a D versus a C, Crystal. If you were going to round that, that'd basically be a 7. Yeah, if you were going to round it, which uh, you wouldn't. <laughs> Daredevil, the man without fear. Daredevil. Daredevil. Are you a big Daredevil guy? I'm not a big Daredevil guy. I pretty much, I watched the first season of that Netflix show and I've seen this movie and that is about the extent of my Daredevil knowledge. I feel like I want to be a Daredevil guy because I feel like among superheroes, he's kind of one of the best concepts. He has like a fun, versatile power set. The idea of him being like a lawyer as a day job and then like beating up guys at night is fun. Yeah, I do agree with that. I like, I like the lawyer stuff. Uh, the whole like uh, Irish Catholic guilt stuff is good. There's like an element in this movie where Bullseye is Irish. And I almost thought they were going to do something with that, but they didn't. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <sighs> Have you watched the Netflix Daredevil show? Uh, I watched two and uh, third seasons of that. Okay. So you, yeah, I, the main thing I remember about the first season was like, it was pretty fun, except like everyone was constantly talking about this city. I want to fight for the soul of this city. You're making this city filthy with your crime. And I'm going to purify this city with the light that was already in this city. Like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, I remember in that show, they explicitly made the Kingpin like a, a gentrifying real estate developer. Right. That was kind of the angle they took with that. Yeah. But he didn't really talk about that when he was talking. He just talked vaguely about the city. He just said, yeah, this city that I love so much. And you know what? I've, I've been hiding in the darkness, but now I have to step out into the light because the darkness is infecting the light. And I need to be in the light to fight the darkness for the city. And this one, he's just, he's just a fun gangster man. He's just an evil bad guy. Michael Clark Duncan, one of those guys always glad to see, never turned in a bad performance. Love to see a Michael Clark Duncan. Absolutely. Uh, I guess we should just start at the beginning of, of the film. Yeah, I'm sure I don't think there's any more, like, high-level stuff to say about Daredevil. Yeah, I don't really... I got nothing. <laughs> like I said, he, kind of a cool idea. Uh, I remember seeing this movie in theaters with my dad, and he was just very fussy afterwards. But like, eh, it's just stupid. I can't buy into the idea. Like, he, you know, superheroes just have superpowers, and he's less powerful than a normal guy because he's blind. I'm like, oh my god, dad. <laughs> but he has the super senses. Yeah, but that, nah, come on now. He's the, he's the boy <laughs> without fear. Okay, but, like, Batman doesn't have fear either, and also, you like, Batman, that makes sense, because he's got, you know, all the gadgets and stuff, but, like, he's just, like, a guy. <laughs> My dad's a weird man. I don't understand, I just don't understand his opinions. <laughs> I don't either, and I've, I lived with him for decades. How does this movie begin? <laughs> This movie begins in the past, narrated by Ben Affleck, uh, talking about uh, he grew up in Hell's Kitchen. And, you know, they say this, that that town, the neighborhood's clean now, but neighborhoods have a soul and the soul never changes or some shit. 
He does say that. A thing I noticed about this movie was that, um, I assume this is set when it came out in 2003. Sure. And so this flashback would be set in, like, the 80s. Something like that, But they yeah. don't really go out of their way to, like, do, like, 80s callbacks or anything like that in the way that they definitely would today. That is true. Yeah, yeah. We meet, uh, little Matt Murdock. He's getting picked on by some bullies. I guess because... They, they're just bullies. They don't really have a reason for picking on him. I, I guess he tells his dad that they told him that his dad was working for a gangster. <laughs> It's so funny that they don't change their behavior at all, even after he gets blinded. <laughs> yeah. They're just they're, cruel children. They're just cruel children who just like to shove Matt Murdock around because uh, he don't fight back because that's, you know, his dad told him the only thing he should be hitting is the books. I remember in the uh, in the Amazing Spider-Man film, there's a scene where like uh, Flash Thompson is actually a little bit a little bit uh, kind and gentle with Peter Parker after Uncle Ben dies. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> but if it was these kids, they'd be like, oh, your uncle died. Cry, baby. <laughs> idiot. Look at the orphan. <laughs> idiot. Um. Yeah, also, I guess even before we get to the flashback, uh, Matt Murdock is dying in a church and the priest takes off his mask. That's true. We have the the flash, the, the opening bit there. Yeah, uh, that. Yeah, we zoom on to his like milky blind eye, which then fills with color as he like flashes back in time to being a kid. Uh, but yeah, he goes home to his dad, who's, you know, a boxer. They used to say he fought like the devil, but oh, that was a long time ago. I love his dad's face. Yeah, this guy's got a face. This guy looks like a fucking, like, 1930s pulp hero. This guy looks like a cinder block became a man. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think the dad actor does well. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I think this kid stuff is pretty good. I, I will go with you as, as far as that goes, at least. Yeah, I think this is, like, easily the most well-done part of the film. Yeah, yeah. And I'm shocked that they cut this out for theatrical, or at least cut it down a lot. Yeah, they, I think they cut it way down, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, his dad just kind of is talking to him like, ah, you know, we, you, you, you can't fight anybody. And also, I'm definitely not a crook. I'm not, I'm not working for the mob. Come on, don't be silly. Uh, but then the next day, uh, Matt stumbles across his dad, like, hassling a guy for protection money, uh, and then runs away and gets, uh, splashed with horrible chemicals that blind him. Yeah, he was gonna show his dad his straight A's report card, but he wasn't at the, at the site, the construction site that he said he was working at. Right. And then the report card falls in the puddle right before he gets blinded by the, uh, toxic chemicals that put devil DNA in his DNA. Right, yeah, we see... <laughs> <laughs> they do it effect. It's a very like, oh, it's the 2000s, baby. Was there one of these in the Hulk? Yeah, it was like his DNA hulking out. <laughs> <laughs> they just love going inside a body to show you the like molecules getting superpowers. <laughs> because we like zoom into his eye and then zoom inside of his eye and like through the optic nerve as it starts charging with red electricity. Because even though he's blinded, now all of his other senses are super powered. And uh, I do really like this opening stuff where he first wakes up and like the sound of the IV drip is like bombs dropping next to him. And it's just like absolute like sensory overload. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this uh, in Daredevil before. I, I I know Man of Steel does this with Superman. Yeah, I was going to say Man of Steel is a similar thing where he's just like in constant sensory overload until he can learn to control his uh, like super seeing or whatever. Like, he goes to, like, touch his bandages, and it's just, like, this horrible scraping noise as he lightly brushes them. That kind of thing. Yeah. 
It's it's good. His dad was like, you know, like ashamed when his son caught him doing mugging. And now he's like, now he's committed to to being a, not a mugger. Yeah, yeah. They're both gonna, you know, we made a silent promise to each other to never give up because we're both underdogs on a comeback streak. Uh, and they, yeah, he's boxing again and he's winning his fights and Matt is uh, like learning to read Braille, but also learning to do uh, cool parkour. Yeah, he like he like gets frustrated with his book and throws it, and turns out he like in intuitively threw it perfectly at the the little boxing thing that you hit. Yeah, the the speed bag. The speed bag. Yeah, he has perfect reflexes and aim, enhanced by his super senses. Right, and the, he does have a line where he says, "My sense of touch, my my enhanced sense of touch, gave me strength and agility, and agility I kind of get. I don't get how you get stronger from having a good sense of touch." I, I guess maybe if you're throwing things, you can know how to hold it and flick your wrist right to throw it. Sure. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like the agility, I get that like, oh, he can sense like the air currents or whatatever to like move perfectly or whatever. Uh, yeah, balance is a sense. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's doing like cartwheels on the roof of a building or whatever. Um, yeah, this stuff's fun. I, I like it just fine. Uh, he's like, even though he's blind, he stops an old man from almost getting hit by a car. And it turns out that old man was Stanley. There he is. Not too much yeah. attention. Perfect Stanley. Yeah, that was a good Stanley cameo. Uh, he gets stopped by the bullies again, as we were saying, and this time just kicks the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> this acting with this kid getting hit with the blind cane is not the strongest. <laughs> he, he looks like he's just getting gently slapped and is annoyed by it when you're supposed to be seeing it as he's just getting like his ass kicked. I feel like this movie has a very like high dynamic range of acting. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's like there's like performances that are just like good parentheses dramatic and there's pr- performances that are good parentheses comedic. Uh-huh. And then there's a lot of ones that are just kind of flat or bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, it's it's time for the big fight with Jack the Devil Murdoch versus John Romita. And uh, Jack gets visited by the mob boss he used to work for, who's Hector Salamanca from Breaking Bad. Uh, and he's like, hey, I know you think you don't work for the mob anymore, but actually I've been rigging all your fights. And now, the, you know, your pays come due. You got to fall, take a dive tonight. I've seen mob movies before. <laughs> And uh, he doesn't take the fall because he doesn't want to disappoint his son. He doesn't want to break his silent promise. Right. He's like in the, uh, you know, fight and the mob boss and his son are both like, we're seeing like the those two people weighing on his mind and he gets knocked down and the mob boss is like, yeah. But then he gets back up and his son is like, yeah. Uh, and then they kill him. Yes. He, he holds his dad's corpse in the alley as it pans out and he, he cuts his palms on the rose and his his red boxing cape is strewn out in the alley. It's very dramatic. The rose because Michael Clark Duncan beat him to death and then threw a rose on his dead body. Yes, the Kingpin's uh, signature. <laughs> uh-huh. Is that a comic book thing? I don't know enough about comic book Kingpin. I don't know. It could be a movie original. <laughs> or is that just, that'd be a pretty cool thing to do to a guy. <laughs> I don't know. I do like that the first, like, because you don't really see the kingpin in this scene, but you do see, like, the wheels of the car, and you see the suspension lift up as he gets out of the car to establish, this a big boy. <laughs> He's a big man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I think Blank Check has the bit about the Kingpin where, like, Spider-Man always has to, like, anytime he fights him, he has to make a fat joke, and then the next panel is Spider-Man with a thought bubble. I said that, but really, that's not fat at all. It's just muscle. He's so strong. Yeah, people love to say that about the Kingpin. Uh, it actually is just muscle, and actually, he's surprisingly agile for a man of his size. Right, he actually just has abs so overdeveloped that they look like <laughs> rolls of fat. I guess he, he's, he's supposed to have, like, a sumo wrestler physique, I guess, you know? Yeah, but sumo wrestlers have fat. Fat does, in fact, serve a purpose. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, the camera pans out to a uh, big cathedral with a painting of Mary, which then fades into adult Matt Murdock's face. I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. Does it fade? Oh, it does, it does, yeah. Uh, I like that he has to sleep in a sensory deprivation tank, because otherwise he just hears everything all the time. That's so cool. It's so goth. Yeah, his apartment is very goth. Like, it's one thing that he has to sleep in a sensory deprivation tank. I don't know if the tank needs to look like a coffin. <laughs> That's just a decision he made aesthetically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I I like any time a superhero story is like, hey, here's all the ways that having this superpower fucking sucks ass. And they definitely, especially early on here, do that a lot with uh, Daredevil. We're like, yeah, he's hearing everything all the time and it's really bad. Yeah, I really like the scene later where he's, like, hearing a woman get killed right as he's about to go to sleep. And he's just right, like, he just, yeah. He's like, well, I already got the shit beat out of me tonight, and I need to go to sleep, so I guess this is not my problem. Right, I spent all night long fighting bad guys over a different injustice, a different murder of a woman. Or, uh, I guess that was a rape of a woman, but, like, yeah, I, I did that all night long. I have no energy for this atrocity that I can hear happening so clearly that I'm literally seeing the woman in my apartment. Like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I like that Matt has, uh, has like, an expensive advanced sound system. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice uh, character detail, because, of, of course, he would be able to tell the difference. That is true. Yeah, yeah, he needs the high quality, that, that high fidelity. MP3s are not good enough for Matt Murdock. He needs the flax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're just seeing him, like, you know, get dressed and go about his day like he's getting out. He's got, like, separate, um containers for each of uh like denomination of dollar bills he's got that he folds different ways so he can keep track of them in his wallet that kind of thing uh we get to uh his day job at the trial which is apparently set in the matrix it's got the matrix reloaded green tints <laughs> <laughs> i mean this came out between the two matrix movies didn't it that is true and this is the exact matrix color grading you're right <laughs> And, the, you know, it's all Dutch angles in this courtroom, almost like maybe this, uh, this not justice is what's happening here. Oh, damn. And yeah, the, uh, yeah, this is a rape trial, and, um, yeah, they're defending, or I guess, wait. Yeah, they're, they're not defending. They're prosecuting. They're pros- well, hold on, I, I don't feel like that's how lawyering works usually. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you usually pick one, don't you? Yeah, I think, I, I don't think defense attorneys usually take prosecution cases. Well, this movie has a lot of weird ideas about the law. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, maybe it's a civil trial. Maybe she's suing him for damages. Yeah, I think that's that's what's happening. Yeah, that would make a little more sense. Um, but as the bad guy is testifying, Matt can hear his heartbeat and he can tell from his heartbeat that he's lying. And that just makes him so mad. There's nothing you can do about it in the court of law. Maybe the system, you know, isn't able to get all the justice that he wants. So sometimes he has to be Daredevil. Right. Uh, I'm just, listen, it looks cool, but having a little devil engraved on his cane just seems like 
<laughs> Listen, you're asking, you're inviting questions at that point. What questions is he inviting? I don't know, I feel like the reporter, like, looks at the cane and he's like, oh, huh, cool cane, when he hands it back to him at the party. Yeah, I mean, the reporter definitely knows what his deal is, but that's because yeah. he's, a, he's Ben Urich, you know, top reporter. The average sure. person wouldn't know that. I suppose that's true, yeah. Um, I just like that he already has the suit and the name. This isn't really like an origin movie in the way you get these days. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, mid-2000 superhero movies did not give a fuck about explaining how they got their suits or weapons, and I um, I appreciate that. I just love the zoom into his eyes outside the courtroom. He says, I got work to do, and then we get a little montage of just Daredevil doing cool moves with his nunchucks. We get, it's very, like, Batman Forever, except it's a little less erotically charged. Although there is a scene where he's holding one of the batons at his waist, and we, like, zoom down it as though it is the shaft of his penis. <laughs> I, I like the suit, too. I think it's definitely better than the Netflix suit. Yeah, I don't really remember the Netflix suit very well, because I mostly just remember him, like, kind of not having a suit. He just has, like, the bandana over his eyes and, like, the black shirt or whatever. Yeah, they also didn't call him Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, this is basically just, like, a red, like, leather jumpsuit, uh, with, like, a little, like, DD inscribed on it. Like, yeah, it's, it's simple, but it, it works, yeah. Um, and there are a lot of weird tonal shifts in this movie, because this is now, like, I almost do understand why they cut down a lot of the childhood stuff, because that was, like, a different movie tonally than this. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Because, yeah, part of me was, like, you could have... Once we got out of that flashback sequence, I was like, I'm kind of, like, satisfied. You told a whole little story there. Like, I'm going to keep watching the movie because I have a podcast to do, but I don't really feel like I need to. Uh, and, yeah, but uh, he goes to the biker bar where the scumbag uh, drinks at. Um, what's this thing they're doing with the bikes and, like, the alcohol? Uh, they're lighting it on fire with the exhaust from their engines. Are they? Because it's just steaming. I think maybe it would catch on fire eventually? It seems like if if you're going to spend that long setting that up, you want a shot of it catching on fire. Uh, but anyway, the daredevil comes in and uh, he just beats the shit out of this entire bar. Uh, yeah, you can't really see shit in this scene. It's not a great action scene. It's okay. And it's definitely, you know, trying to be a little disorienting. Like the lights are kind of flickering and we're getting a lot of weird shots. I don't know. This is more readable than like some Nolan Batman action scenes. I think it's basically the same thing. I think it's a little better. Uh, but eventually, yeah, he's like, set all the pool tables on fire. It's weird. And then he's just like, hey, buddy, I'm going to murder you now. Hope that's cool. And uh, the guy runs away and like runs down and like falls down the stairs into the subway. And uh, Daredevil just like starts strangling him with the wire between his little batons. And unfortunately, a subway train comes and it's so loud, Crystal. This is also a quote of The Matrix. <laughs> you know what? You're These people liked The Matrix. Yeah, I mean, yeah The Matrix just came out. <laughs> yeah. And you... <laughs> And you know what? The Matrix watched this movie, and that's where they got the idea for Neo going blind in Revolutions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he yeah kind of falls to his knees holding his ears when the train comes by, and the bad guy takes out a gun to shoot him. Uh, but Daredevil manages to knock the gun away and shove the guy down onto the train tracks, and he gets run over by the next train that comes. He killed this man. He just murdered a dude. This, yeah, he's... This guy, this Daredevil doesn't have any Catholic guilt. Right, no. <laughs> he's not worried about going to hell for murder. Right, or, you know, he's just like, yeah, no, I'm definitely going to hell, so may as well make it worth it. 
And then uh, yet another Matrix reference, uh, esteemed character actor Joey Pants. Yeah, love to see a Joey Pants. He's like, I, I think the Daredevil did this. And the cop's like, Daredevil, that's just an urban legend. You know, why, don't you, why don't you report the real stories, Urich? And yeah. he throws a cigarette onto the floor because Daredevil had apparently laid out his DD logo in oil. I was going to say, I'd love to see the scene of Ben Affleck being like, okay, whew, that guy is dead. Now to meticulously make a big DD out of gasoline for somebody to find later. I always think of that whenever there's a scene in the movie where, like, someone goes home and finds the villain sitting in their chair. Like, how oh, sure are they waiting <laughs> How long you just been sitting there? Like, uh, maybe they heard you coming up the stairs and like, okay, I gotta turn the lights off real quick and get in my chair. It's like the fucking thing from uh, uh, that Mass Effect novelization, the dumb ninja guy, like, breaking into a guy's house and eating all the cereal. Yeah, that's good. That's what I would do. I can't remember that character's name. My brain keeps wanting to say Kylo Ren, and that's not correct. Uh, that would be Kai Lang. Kai Lang, of course. How could I forget iconic character Kai Lang? Shepard's greatest rival. His greatest rival. The only person who could maybe meet Shepard's match. The man who is who will destroy the legend of the Shepard. <laughs> God. I would love to be able to just, like, sit down with the people that wrote, especially Mass Effect 3, all of them, really, but especially 3, just be like, guys, what the fuck happened? <laughs> no, no, don't give me any fucking excuses. Why th why this? Why the ninja man? Idiots. Uh, anyway, speaking of Mass Effect 3, back to Daredevil. Um, he, yeah, we kind of already covered what happens next. He goes home, he gets into his set. Yeah, we get a long sequence of him, like undressing he's got like a whole medicine cabinet full of painkillers he's covered in scars while he's showering he like takes out half a tooth that got knocked out and all of this is uh, uh playing as he listens to a message a voicemail from his girlfriend explaining why she's breaking up with him because right. he's never around and he's always like leaving bed at 2 a.m and right. never explains where he is yeah uh, and then, yeah, he gets into the sensory deprivation tank and he hears a woman getting brutally murdered. And he's like, I can't. Ah, sorry. He he picks a tooth out of his mouth in the shower. Yeah, it's not good to see. But then he's not, he's not missing a tooth for the rest of the film. Well, you know, it's one of those back teeth. You don't see it. Okay. It was like a molar. Mm. <laughs> well, you don't like that? I'm just like, I don't know. You, you, gotta, you gotta have visual continuity. I, there's lots of teeth that you don't see in a person's mouth unless you're looking very closely. Oh, how far back into his mouth does he stretch? I'm, it's not that far back. He doesn't, you know, get it in his cheek. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, I I like that they're very clear, like, hey, being Daredevil, bad, it sucks. It's no good. Yeah, he's, he's you know, he dies at the beginning and you can see why. He definitely, this is not sustainable for him. Right. Uh, anyway. Uh, then he's having, you know, he's meeting with, uh, Foggy, John Favreau himself, the next day at, like, a cafe. This is another sudden tonal shift. Yeah. <laughs> now this is just, like, a, a comedy film. Well, sure, John Favreau himself has shown up. What else could it be? But it's not, like, like a smooth transition from, like, no. action drama to comedy. It's just suddenly a different movie. Like, it's shot differently, too. I think what they're going for, right, is, like, oh, he's, like, living a double life, and the two lives have different vibes to them. But, yeah, no, I don't know if that works. But it's different from the vibe that he had in the courtroom, too. Right, that is true. This doesn't really match that, even, because that was more, like, serious legal drama. And this is, yeah, this is just, we're having some fun at a coffee shop. 
off, I'm gonna, I'm mad at you, so I'm gonna pour mustard in your coffee, because you're blind and you don't know better, ah, oh, but you got them super senses, so you're gonna trick me into drinking the mustard coffee. <laughs> uh, yeah, Foggy's complained that they, they need some money for their law firm. They're tired of, uh, doing pro bono cases, getting paid with fish by clients who don't have any money. Right. They need to find clients who are rich and guilty, because you see, Luke, the, the problem with the law is that poor people are innocent and rich people are guilty. Sure. But, you know, the law itself is fine. It's just that the, the rich people can get out of their uh, due punishment from the law. Right. What we need is to make sure that people are punished appropriately. Uh, because, yeah, Matt Murdock has a strict policy that he will only represent innocent clients. <laughs> this is such a superhero movie thing. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Like, there's no concept of the like... Yeah, someone might be guilty, but, like, the law is not just, or, like, the punishment is way disproportionate. Right, right. Or, like, you know, uh, maybe they are still owed, like, a certain, like, due process to make sure that, like, the, you know, they are, they get what's due and not just, like, run roughshod over, even though, yeah, I guess technically they did rob that store or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but who cares about any of that? There's a hot lady here now. You ever feel like in a movie where it's, like... It, it, because because it's the story, it's, it's the story of a movie, everyone has to act like this is the hottest woman they've ever seen. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and like... Yeah, Jennifer Garner's pretty. She is a... Uh, you know, yeah, she's a good-looking lady, but they all have to, like, <laughs> right, unhinge their jaw and start yelling awooga every time she walks into a scene. And Matt can even tell just from her, her gait, I guess. She has a really hot walking gait. Also, I feel like she has, like... I think they CGI'd her eyes to, like, be greener in some shots. Yeah, they absolutely did. There's no way that is her natural eye color. Yeah, like, I, I, it's definitely not her natural eye color. I just don't know if it's CGI or they just gave her weird contacts. Maybe she's secretly the She-Hulk. Oh, well, no, no, I think she might secretly be Elektra. No, that's just her name. It's not a secret. Well, well I guess she, has, she doesn't really give it out too easy. <laughs> that is true. She does kind of keep it secret. Uh, hey, what the... Uh, all right. <laughs> I don't know if this is a more normal thing than I'm giving it credit for. The idea... <laughs> I have seen this in so many fucking TV shows and movies where, like, oh, there's a pretty girl over there. You better go, you know, make your move on her. The idea of walking up to a stranger who is just trying to get through their day and saying, hello, I'm attracted to you, and that's your problem now, and just hoping that they're into it is psychopathic behavior to me. Yeah, it's not, it's not, I don't like it. I don't care for it. Right. It's not, like, it's gonna get worse uh, in the next scene, but even this, just like, oh, let me walk over here and bump into you with my blind cane and, like, play up my blindness to tr as an attempt to flirt with you. Like, she's just trying to read the newspaper. Go away. Yeah, she is just trying to have a coffee and read the newspaper. Yeah. A coffee establishment is not like... There are, like, venues you can go to where this would be more appropriate. Right, totally. But, like, it, this is treated like normal behavior in so many things that it's just... It's baffling to me. I don't know. Yeah, I don't care for it. Yeah, like, listen, I'm an anxious person, so this was never anything I would even think of doing. But even, like, as an adult now, the I, like, it just seems rude. Like, be, just mind your fucking business. It also is definitely rude to, like, keep doing it, be insistent, even after uh, she clearly wants you to go away. After she firmly and unambiguously says, okay, bye, whatever. Yeah, it's maybe not good to then follow her down the street. <laughs> And then when she stops, you're like, hey, why are you fucking following me? 
to be like, well, you never told me your name. Okay, I don't care. Bye. And then grab her by the wrist to keep her from leaving. But if we ignore all that, if we if we if we bracket that, compartmentalize it, set it aside. Sure. It's it's cute that they bond over having a playground fight. Yes, I will agree. The way we got here was like absurd and horrible, but once we're here, yeah, it's fun. Because yeah, he grabs her by the arm and she like does like a little twist to get out of it, but he also knows uh various martial arts and now they're just martial arts fighting and she goes from being afraid of this man who's trying to restrain her to like, oh, this is fun and flirty though. This is like the the song the scene in Hamilton where like Hamilton like rhymes one line with Eliza and she falls in love with him, but they're rhyming uh-huh. with their fists. They're rhyming with their fists, yeah. They have a a goofy little fight on the seesaw and he like jumps on the seesaw to send her into the air and like catches her in like a like a dance dip. This is like a a, a famously reviled scene. Yeah. I kind of get it because this is very totally consistent with everything that comes before and after. Definitely. And like, it is objectively silly. But on its own, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I think there's definitely a degree to which, uh, especially back then, and now too, it just takes a slightly different form. Like, people just don't want silliness. They feel like, oh, no, you got to take it seriously. Quit quit goofing around. You got to take the, the comic book man for real. And this is not doing that, really. But also not too seriously. No. Well, for, you know, for some people, yeah, seriously as you can. But, uh... If it's like a self-seriousness mixed with, like, self-aggrandizing quips to show that you're not too serious about it. Right, right. Like, yeah, we're all having fun here, but I am great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, then, uh, her, like, private car pulls up because it turns out she's rich. What was Electra's... What does Electra do? Uh, be rich. Yeah, it's just like... Like, I don't know, even Mary Jane had more going on in her own life than this. Yeah, listen, you gotta check the film Electra if you want to know what Electra does. Yeah, I guess she fights uh, the hands. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, then we get a proper introduction to our villain, the kingpin, Wilson Fisk himself. Uh, again, just anytime Michael Clark Duncan's on screen, it's a good time. Great guy. One of the all-time guys. Absolutely a guy of all time. He's having a lot of fun (laughs) killing his guards and, like, screaming as he chokes them. Yeah, his, like, assistant comes and he's like, sir, someone talked. And he, like, smiles because he's like, oh, great, that means I get to murder people for no good reason. I love doing that. (laughs) Just like the guards of the ancient emperors had their yeah. tongues cut out. Yeah. So anyway, yeah! And he just starts, he like grabs a guy by the throat and lifts him into the air and just strangles the life out of him. <laughs> <laughs> that guy didn't do nothing. I guess uh, Ben Urich has like a small corner of like page 64 of a newspaper that mentions there might be some kind of kingpin of crime in the city. Right, the tabloid conspiracy theory writer for the New York Post was like, maybe there's just one guy that controls all the crime, and that's enough to send them all in, like, a panic. And then, uh, uh, Electra's dad, first name Nachios, uh-huh, is yeah. like, I'm, I'm really spooked by this Yurich, uh, reporter, I, I, I want out, I want you to buy me out, and I want out. And Kingpin just like, ah, yeah, we're bad guys, so that's not happening, idiot. They want a kingpin. I'll make him the kingpin. Right, let's make a paper trail that leads back to him. 
Uh, and yeah, meanwhile, uh, Murdoch and Foggy are back at court to meet their new client, uh, Coolio, who, uh, yeah, they just ask him if he's innocent, and he says, yeah, hell yeah! And Murdoch can hear his heartbeat and knows he's telling the truth. He's like, all right, cool, we'll represent you for free. Now, uh, Coolio's character, Dante Jackson, his thing is that he loves to smoke weed and he can't remember what happens. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He'll, they'll be returning to this character trait a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but not right now, because right now Wilson Fisk needs to get <laughs> Bullseye on the phone, so we get the introduction of Bullseye. Colin Farrell, number two guy, close second of this film. <laughs> he's a pretty good guy in this film. He's at, he's at, like, an English pub, and he's just drinking while throwing darts, like, over his shoulder and hitting, like, the dead center of the Bullseye with every single one. I really love that we get a lot of time with Bullseye. Yeah. But he doesn't have, like, a personality. He's not, like, a foil <laughs> to Matt. There's not, like, a, a drama there. He's just a, a weird little guy. His personality is that he's very good at throwing things <laughs> at precise locations. He hates missing. Yeah. Uh, so, and also, he doesn't like it when English people insult his Irish heritage. That's just heroic of him. Yes, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because he was, like, betting with some other guy in this bar, and he makes the guy pay up, and then as he's leaving, uh, the guy just like, ah, Iris, piece of shit, or whatever he says, and he stops. <laughs> and takes off the knit cap he's wearing to reveal the bullseye engraved into his forehead. <laughs> he, like, crosses his eyes and licks his lips as he's taking it off. And then he reaches into his jacket and everyone's worried he's going to pull out a gun or something. But no, it's just a paperclip. And he just, he like does a magic trick with it where like he covers it with his hand. And when he uncovers it, it's been straightened out. And uh, everyone's just laughing like, oh, what are you going to do with a fucking paperclip, idiot? And then he just throws it at the guy's neck and then throws like eight more at his throat to kill him with paperclips. I also, Bullseye, one of the all-time powers. Yeah, just very accurate. What have you never missed? <laughs> It just, uh, I feel like that's, because you got him, you got Deadshot in DC. I feel like that's a power you see a lot. I'm just good at aiming. I feel like Deadshot is, is more of a guns guy. He's not doing as much throwing paper clips type stuff. That's true. That's true. Bullseye is all about throwing. <laughs> uh, he, next week he goes to the airport and he's just T-posing up the escalator. <laughs> swaggering through the airport he walks through the metal detector and like points at it as it beeps yeah <laughs> and like menaces the guy who's like hand scanning him <laughs> right because the thing picks up something around his neck and i assumed it was the metal necklace he's wearing but no 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 uh bullseye like coughs up a paper clip and uh, gives it to the guard, and then he takes his stuff back and reveal. Then he coughs up a second paperclip that the guard failed to catch. <laughs> and then he uh, lowers his sunglasses, though, so that he can stare at the drug sniffing dog. Yes, <laughs> make it whine and sit. Uh, that dog can. You know, listen, that baby is there to sniff drugs, but it can also sniff evil, <laughs> and it doesn't care for it. Uh, Murdoch and Foggy go to the home of the victim in the, uh, trial that they've just taken on. So, uh, Coolio has been accused of murdering a sex worker, um, and, uh, just, like, mugging her outside her house and killing her. And because he's innocent, Murdoch's like, well, obviously there's more to this case, so let's break into her house. 
It's also the same woman who he heard get killed the other night. Yes, it turns out this is the same woman that he was he ignored when he went to sleep, uh, like the night before. <laughs> um, and yeah, they start poking around her apartment. Um, Foggy really doesn't do anything other than uh, knock over all her like wigs. But uh, Murdoch figures out that oh, there's there's like traces of blood in the carpet still. She was murdered here and then dragged out to the street. And let me feel this keyboard. Oh. Wait, wait, hold on. Oh, there's something. She wrote something in pen, and there's an impression in the wood. You gotta write this down. It's M-O-M six to eight. This is the stupidest thing in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Like, an hour from now, uh-huh. it's gonna turn out that they had it upside down, and it's actually W O W eighty six. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that turns out to be the... the thing that cracks the kingpin case wide open damn can't believe it <laughs> uh, meanwhile bullseye's having a terrible time on this airplane there's a there's an old lady who just won't stop talking he's got earbuds in listening to just like power metal and this old lady next to him just keeps going on and on about like oh i met this nice young man and he blah 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 blah, blah. and uh, he is having like a panic attack over the fact that this woman won't stop talking to him <laughs> So what he does is open up his pack of peanuts and flick one at the, like, folded up tray in front of her seat so it rebounds off and gets stuck in her throat and kills her. I like that the kingpin made his, like, ace assassin fly coach. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) He can can even spring for a business class. (laughs) Uh, we cut to the trial where uh, Matt is standing facing away from the jury while he talks to the jury. I mean, like, uh, listen, my client is I'm not I'm not here to say he's a good man, but that's not what this trial is about. It's about whether he's a murderer and he's not, as the facts will show. And then he turns to the jury and was like, and that's what it feels like to be my client. Nobody acts. Everyone talking about you while they're not even looking at you. Ah. Yeah, and he's also kind of, of like playing up the blind lawyer thing for sympathy. Right, because then John Favreau has to escort him back to the chair, which he like feels one armrest of and then goes to sit, even though he's next to the chair. And like, then as they sit down for real, he's like, ah, ah, that was too much. It overplays it. Gilded the lily on that one. Uh, in this movie, Foggy's just kind of a buffoon. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I remember the Netflix show they did, it was like, no, he's actually a better lawyer than Matt is. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he shows up for trials and things and is not constantly nursing wounds from daredevilry. Yeah, he has time to study the cases because he's not a daredevil. Right, right. Uh, this Matt Murdock, though, he can do it all. The The cop starts uh, giving a testimony that's like completely contradicts Dante Johnson and makes him look guilty. And Matt's like, but wait, I- I'm listening to his heart and he's not lying. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I wanted the plot to just be, wait, that guy had a pacemaker, so his heart wasn't getting irregular when he lied. <laughs> Is that how pacemakers work? I don't know. <laughs> like, Do I sound like a doctor to you? I, I would assume there would still be, like, a variation in pace. I would, there would have to be, right? Ah. I, there would have to be, like, I feel like it would do more harm than good if it couldn't speed your heart up when you needed your heart to speed up. Right, what if you need to run? Right. Now, granted, if you had a pacemaker put in, maybe running is not on your list of priorities, but even so. Yeah. It does, uh, yeah, no, there must be variants. It must just put, like, a ceiling and a floor on it, not, like, control it directly. Uh, 
turns out Electra's now been stalking Matt too. Yes. They've they stalked each other and now they're even. <laughs> uh and he takes her out to a rooftop because this was his favorite view when he still had the the ability to view things. Uh and he really wanted to bring her out here because it's gonna rain soon. He can sense it. And when the rain falls, all the water droplets, it's so many sources of like sound that it's almost like he can see again and he wanted to see her face. I remember on the last episode of this podcast, you remember saying you thought this scene was stupid. It's a little silly. I think this is romantic. It can be both. (laughs) Sure. I might say it's more silly than romantic, but I won't say it's 0% romantic. He just wants to perfectly echolocate the shape of her face. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I will also say, I forgot that they established that the chemicals did give him super-powered senses. I thought they were just going with, like, well, I'm blind, and that means my other senses are stronger, and now I basically have, like, bat echolocation. I forgot they established, no, 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 it is superpowers. Yeah, it's super-senses. So it is, it's less silly than I remembered it being. Anyway, they start kissing in the rain, but then Matt starts hearing somebody get the shit kicked out of him, and he's like, I gotta go. I'm Daredevil. I feel like that's where the guilt comes in for this Matt Murdock is like, no, no, if I'm ever being happy, I will notice somebody else in pain and I need to abandon everything to go help them. Yeah, I guess it's kind of the Spider-Man thing. It's a bit of the Spider-Man thing, right? Like, no, 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 literally any microsecond of joy I'm feeling is selfish because that's a time I could be spending helping someone else. Even though Electra's also a, a fighter that matches his skills perfectly, they could be a, a team. Yeah, he's, listen, that's a big step. This is only their, it's barely even, neither situation is even quite a date, but if we're counting them both as dates, it's only date number two. I feel like joining your superhero team, forming an alliance of superhero-ry, that, that's like a date three thing. I just feel like when you're an action hero type of guy, having like a perfect fight really skips a lot of steps in a relationship. Right, clear, you know what? So does this movie. This movie also thinks that. <laughs> say so i think it's uh, the romance is mostly well done i'm not gonna say it's horrible but again she <laughs> i guess i'm mostly still thinking about she goes from this man is harassing me to ah, i'm kind of into him once they start fighting yeah that's the bad part but i i just i do like like fight being a shorthand for yeah we really understand each other yeah yeah uh anyway right this he finds a guy like intimidating some dude and chases him down it's shot in a way that's like parallel to the earlier scene of his dad mugging someone yeah definitely and like he chases this guy like into his house and like beats him into unconsciousness and it turns out oh this guy had a kid and the kid saw it and he's all scared now dang i guess this guy was mugging someone because he needed money to raise his kid oh jeez. and uh daredevil just looks at the kid like i'm not the bad guy here kid <laughs> and then it cuts to him out on the rooftop <laughs> just talking to himself i'm not the bad guy <laughs> i would think that like his experience with like finding his dad mugging someone might give him a little more sympathy for these guys uh, I think he's too busy feeling bad about himself to feel sympathy. Yeah. He's just overwhelmed with guilt because a child thought he was a bad guy. So now he has to go to church and sit quietly in the pews and the priest comes over like, hey, man, I, I-, I like this priest's joke. Like, now this may come as a surprise to you, but we are open on Sundays. <laughs> 
You could just, like, come to church instead of just coming in here and sitting like a weirdo. He only likes being here when it's empty. Yeah, because he likes the silence and the solitude. You know, he doesn't deserve to be part of a community. Right, right. And yeah, he's like, oh, did you find solitude here? And he shows him, you know, he could hear, like, a truck driving in a way that it feels like it's driving, like, at him. And he's like, ah, you know, sometimes. Yeah, gonna get a lot of echo in here. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Uh, the priest is just like, you should just, like, do confessional. That's a Catholic thing, and you're Catholic, and you could talk about your problems, and it might be good for you. And he's just like, nope, I'm too busy being a sad boy. Bye. Bye, loser. Is there a standard name for Matt's priest? Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about the, the Daredevil lore. I just like the idea of, like, a, a priest who uh, is, like, Daredevil's therapist. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, it looks like... In Earth 616, uh, there's a guy named Father Jordan. I don't know if this is a good guy or like he was a bad guy posing as a priest or something. Uh, Father Jordan was a member of the ancient Ordo Draconum who ran a church in New York City. And it was the leader of the New York Watchpost of the Order Ordo Draconum. Under a disguise, Matt Murdock visited Father Jordan's church during a time of personal crisis. Jordan convinced Matt to take a walk and talk, considering Matt didn't want to confess anything specific. After successfully beating up a group of muggers who tried to rob them, Jordan revealed Matt he was a member of the Ordo Draconum. I don't know what the Ordo Draconum is. This isn't helping me. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, just let me show you this picture of this priest. <laughs> this priest in like he's got the priest collar on, but he's also showing off his sick crucifix tattoos on his guns. I, I... my guns, I guess I should specify. I mean his beefy arms and not his like assault rifles, because <laughs> that can really go either way. This is like a Guilty Gear character. This is kind of a Guilty Gear character. <laughs> oh. Like, is, yeah, <laughs> name Jordan, full name unknown, current alias, Father Jordan. <laughs> Great, glad. Uh, yeah, I don't know, that's all I've got for you. This does not seem like a regular Daredevil character, he's relatively new. Um, so, Matt goes back to the law office and he's all despondent, because maybe he's the bad guy. He's talking about, like, he's not gonna see Electra again, Foggy's like... Why? It seemed like things were going good. You're just skipping straight to the breakup before you even have a relationship. Uh, and they say they get invited to like a fancy party where they can uh, schmooze with some rich clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, hold on. I'm sorry. Now I'm just sidetracked by the Ordo Draconum. <laughs> Tell me about the Ordo Draconum. Uh, the Ordo Draconum was a militant order founded in 1408 by King Sigismund of Hungary. It was originally a militant order of Catholic knights used to protect the king's territory from incursions in foreign empires. The order eventually included Vlad Dracula, the Transylvanian son of Vlad Dracul, appointed Prince of Wallachia by Sigismund. Yeah, I didn't think about it, but I guess Dracula would be a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, so wait, is Vlad Dracula or Vlad Dracul, like, is Vlad Dracula like the Alucard of Marvel, you know what I mean? Is he like the good guy vampire that's fighting his father? I think there's an actual Alucard in in Marvel. <laughs> Fuck you! Why wouldn't there be? <laughs> because they already have a Dracula and a Dracul. <laughs> hmm. I just, listen... I understand that, you know, sometimes people switch sides or, like, they're morally gray, like like Daredevil. I need this Marvel wiki to have a heading on each of these characters that's just good guy or bad guy. Help me out a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, okay, Count Dracula... Oh, yeah, okay, this is... Vlad Dracula is just Count Dracula, and it does mention his uh, lust for power. Uh, so I do think he's probably a bad guy. Okay. 
Okay, so I think Father Jordan is a bad guy working for Dracula. Sounds great. Yeah. I don't know if that's the the type of priest relationship you were looking for from Daredevil. I don't know. Maybe this is the kind of guy who would really understand Matt. You know, Matt's also a tortured soul. He identifies with the devil. That is true. That is true. Uh, so they go to the fancy party, Ben Urich shows up and meets Matt, and he's like, hey, it kind of seems like you're Daredevil, and Matt's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, that's crazy, don't be silly, anyway, bye! And they meet Wilson Fisk. Yeah, who, his assistant tries to be like, hey, you're a fucking nobody, go away, Wilson Fisk's like, no, 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 listen, I love to, I, I always need new blood in my organization, I know who they are, they're the famous blind lawyers from Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, it kind of seems like he he knows of Matt because he killed his dad and has been, like, occasionally checking up on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, right, Foggy is very much like, sir, please, oh god, we need any money at all, please hire us to defend you in court for something, god. And Matt is like, no, actually, sir, we can't defend you because we only defend innocent people. And uh, Fissy's just like, I've been in this business long enough to know that nobody's innocent. Yeah, I mean, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> Matt doesn't really, uh, you know, classic Marvel disease engage with that. Right. <laughs> well, he's, he's distracted by a hot lady. Yeah, the hottest woman in the entire world is here, Electra Nachos. Yes. And he does just kind of reach in and sniff her shoulder <laughs> when he first sees her. <laughs> you know, he's, he's being sensual about it, but he does just kind of walk up and give her a good sniff. I guess the relationship is at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fisk's assistant kind of just, like, tells Foggy to fuck off. Like, you two are, like, losers? Why would we hire you? We hire, like, real lawyers, dummy. Stupid. He also introduces his name as Wilson Owen Welch, and he has a pin that says W-O-W. Whoa, hold. Well, that, well, that probably doesn't mean anything. No, this is the careful building blocks of the mystery. What? What mystery? What? Uh, uh, what's, what's the deal with Dante Jackson? Who really did it? It wasn't well, him. That, that was something to do with Mom. M-O-M. So I don't know why you're bringing that up now. Yeah, but what, what happens if you turn that upside down? Hold on, let me get a piece of paper. Okay. Alright, M-O-M. Alright, and then turn it upside down. Well, now it's face down. I can't read it at all. No, you gotta flip it turnways. Hold on, okay. Oh, oh, I see, I see, okay. Um... Oh, holy shit! That says, wow! That's right. Metroid Other M. <laughs> Actually, this whole time, you needed to flip that case upside down. It's really... Yeah, Metroid Other W. I guess just flip the one... Never mind, this doesn't work. <laughs> uh, what happens next, Crystal? Uh, Electra does a, does a sexy dance with Matt. Not a sexy dance, a romantic dance. Uh, and she's talking about, you know, I watched my mom die when I was a little kid. Good things don't usually happen to me, but you're a good thing. And I'm really glad I met you. And Matt's kind of just like, I don't know, maybe I don't deserve good things because I'm a bad guy. I'm actually bad. A little kid got sad when he saw me beat up his dad, so. Uh, and then Fisk kind of like comes to her dad and is like, hey, buddy, you fucked up bad. <laughs> Puts a rose in his, uh, in his jacket. <laughs> Yes. That's such a good way to kill someone. Uh -huh. You know, show some respect. And then, uh, yeah, they get escorted away from the party, Electra and her dad, uh, and like shoved in a car. And meanwhile, across town, Bullseye has landed and he's driving a motorcycle. I feel like the Dark Knight took a lot from this movie, actually. 
I can because this whole kind of see what you mean. Kind of feels like the the part with the Joker truck. Sure, sure. Um, you know, we get some. I like Daredevil just hanging out among a bunch of like angel statues on top of a church. Yeah, it's very good uh, approaching point for Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, Bullseye uh, jumps off his motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, and his belt buckle has like shurikens in it. He's like standing on his motorcycle, riding it without holding it. <laughs> like jumps yeah. off it, <laughs> gets the shurikens from his belt, and then just throws the shurikens through the windshield of the limo to kill the drivers uh, who crash into a New York Post van. Because whoever was making this movie was like, "We paid for the New York Post logo, and goddamn it, we're gonna use it." Uh, and then yeah, he kills Elektra's dad, and uh, well, no, not yet, because Daredevil he kills the drivers, but then Daredevil shows up to confront him. Right, yes. He tries to hit Daredevil with the shuriken, but he dodges because of his super senses and agility. Yeah, they're uh, maybe they are a foil for one another. Because Daredevil can dodge stuff and Bullseye can throw stuff. <laughs> what happens when an undodgeable shuriken <laughs> meets an unhittable man? What happens is he steals Daredevil's baton and uses it to kill Electra's dad. <laughs> And then all Electra sees is Daredevil's baton kill, kill her dad, so she thinks Daredevil did it. Right, because Daredevil dives to try to catch it from the air, but the explosion fucks up his, uh, like, sonar, so he sees, like, a million of them in the air at once and can't grab at the right one. <laughs> this is so silly. <laughs> Just like the scene of Daredevil kicking him off the motorcycle, and it looks like the Agent Smith a hundred of them fight. Right, uh-huh. <laughs> but there's only two of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, she tries to shoot Daredevil, but she can't. And he just gets away, and she's left to mourn her father amongst all the newspapers. And uh, Joe Pantoliano is just like, I don't know what the fuck to make of this one. This is a, this is a good melodrama, but they're kind of rushing through the whole thing in like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, they. this movie feels overpacked to me. I don't know if you needed a lecture in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, Electra doesn't serve a lot of purpose in this movie. Other than, well, you gotta have a hot lady in it. Yeah, I mean, there's no girl, there's no story. Like they right. said in Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> a movie that we've all seen. It's a great flick. I, I'm i not really disputing the quality of it in this moment. <laughs> I'm disputing using it as a reference point that anyone is going to understand. Well, maybe they should watch the great film and then they'll understand. I suppose they better watch the great film of Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. Uh, it's time for Daredevil to flip some tables because he killed his girlfriend's dad indirectly. He fucked up his whole relationship with Elektra. I blew it! I finally found a girl I like and I blew it! Aw, oh, dang it! <laughs> but then, uh, Kingpin goes to his office and, uh, Bullseye's just sitting in his chair and he killed all his guards with a pencil just for fun. You know what? Maybe this movie is, uh, inspiration for The Dark Knight. <laughs> I love the, um, like, the view of the city from Kingpin's office, which is clearly just a painting. Yes. I, I just like the the artificiality of it. I also love that Kingpin's guards exist primarily to get murdered. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they even do any guarding. No. <laughs> no. Neither of these men feel in need of guarding. They're just here so they got a neck to snap when they're getting a little bored. <laughs> Yeah, they seem to like, it's like Kingpin, Kingpin respects him for the good guard murdering job well done. Right, yeah. Oh, but, oh, you like murdering guards too? Me too. I knew we were good friends. And they have a cold conversation about how you kill the man without fear. 
you gotta put the fear in him. Yeah. And then Bullseye says he wants a suit, but then he never gets a suit. Yeah, well, let's... What's the deal with that? Fisk is just like, buddy, I'm sorry, well, that's not in the budget. But why did they leave that line in? It's a great question. It's like it's like the line they end on to the climactic line. Yeah, <laughs> or, well, yeah. Why didn't they give him a suit? You know, I, I can't answer it for you. They probably should have. Uh, and then we're back at the trial with uh, Coolio and Foggy. Foggy's beefing it. Matt's not there because he's busy being Daredevil or whatever. John Favreau's just like, Your Honor, I'm primarily a comedic, a comic relief character. I can't actually do this. He asks Coolio if he's ever owned a handgun. He's like, no, of course I wouldn't. I would never own a handgun. Shotguns are better. He's like, ah, ah shit. And then we get the funeral scene for Mr. Nacho set to Evanescence is My Immortal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great soundtrack to this flick. It's a very 2000s soundtrack. This is the movie that popularized Bring Me to Life. Everything about this movie just feels like, yes, of course it came out in 2003. It could not have come out in any other year. Exa- this is this is a movie that marks the era. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. She and Matt have a conversation like, I, I, I gotta go get revenge. For my father, I gotta avenge him. I gotta kill Daredevil. That's like, trust me, I, I know what revenge feels like, and it's not gonna make you feel better. You should stay with me instead. But it's better than what I'm saying, and I think they actually do act this one out good. Right, yes. He's like, oh, shit, you're even more hot now that you also are driven by fatherly revenge, but it's revenge against me. Fuck, shit, damn it. They don't spell this out in the movie, but... I, I kind of thought that, oh, Daredevil killed Fallon, and then that allowed the Kingpin to rise. Oh, sure, that would make sense. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, but then, finally, he sits down with and puts on a nice pair of pants. <laughs> Joseph Pants himself. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the fuck Joey Pants says. Something about, <laughs> like, uh, I, I think I know how to save your client. Yeah. Here's the thing, they spend a lot of time on this, like, mystery. You know, this, this this is the subplot that they added back in for the director's cut. But it's not really that important. It's not that important. Oh, listen, I'll be honest, I watched this movie a little while ago, like a week ago. Uh, and I was paying attention, but uh, this movie was fine, but it maybe did not stick in my memory. And this version I'm watching doesn't have subtitles available, so I'm just watching Joe Pantoliano and Ben Affleck silently talk in a car. And I'm just like, what are they talking Talking about, <laughs> all right. So something like uh, I can find you, like the cop who who lied at the testimony. He's at this bar. Go beat him up. Yeah, yeah. So then Matt Murdock, uh, out of costume, <laughs> just beats uh-huh. the shit out of this cop. Yeah, you know, he's like in the car, driving it around and crashing it on purpose. And then yeah, oh my god, the guy's got a surgery scar on his chest. Hey, pacemakers make any kind of noise themselves. You would think, right? You would think that if he can, like, has such perfect hearing that he can detect every little fluctuation in your heartbeat, he would know something was weird if you had a pacemaker. Like, even if the pacemaker itself doesn't make a noise, he'd be like, okay, well, no one's heartbeat is that regular without a pacemaker, so. Ah, but he finds out he has a pacemaker, and it's actually the the kingpins involved in this case. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. The kingpin planned everything, even making sure the cop involved had a pacemaker. (laughs) The, the the kingpin um runs all the crime in the city down to like yes. the smallest petty muggings, which is such a funny concept. <laughs> 
Like, in a very comic booky, like, over-the-top dramatic way, I think you could make, you know, tell a fun story with that. But if you try to inject even, even the amount of realism that this movie has, which is not much, it's just so silly. <laughs> like, oh yeah, all crime flows through the kingpin. Like, no, it doesn't. Stop it. The kingpin pays for everyone's VPNs so they can tour its <laughs> anime. <laughs> You, you listen, you're driving the speed limit down the highway, and then you get a text message saying to drive one mile an hour faster, and you <laughs> fucking answer that message. Because you know what'll happen if you don't. And you better answer it while you're driving. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you. <laughs> and don't wear your seatbelt. <laughs> and then we get uh, Kevin, Kevin Smith's cameo on this one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's the coroner. Yeah, just Ke- Kevin Smith is here. He's, that's a guy that likes comic books. Yeah, he's also, he's friends with Ben Affleck. Oh, is he? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's, I think, like, Ben Affleck started in Kevin Smith movies. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Now this is ringing a bell. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is the corner that, like, looked at Elektra's dad, and he's like, yeah, check out this fucking Daredevil baton. That's pretty neat. If you, if you telescope it, it looks like a cane. Kind of like the cane that Matt Murdock had. Kind of looks like a cane. Uh-oh. And it also has the same distinctive devil insignia. And then uh, Foggy calls Yurich to say, Hey, uh, Karen Page flipped it turnways, so I saw that it's uh, Wilson Owen Welch did it. Oh my gosh! Wow! And he's the <laughs> Kingpin's assistant, so the Kingpin's involved. I like Electra training with the sandbag that she drew shitty daredevils onto. <laughs> <laughs> like... She, she's all like Dutch angles. She's full of rage. But then you see the shitty little daredevil face on the front of the bag. This is the best scene of the movie. <laughs> Bring me to life. Great song. <laughs> Just cutting between both of them training for the big confrontation. Right. Yeah. Excellent melodramatic situation. They're lovers, but now they're enemies. Right. She spent so much time hanging all these sandbags around this room to rip them apart. Yeah, it really kind of feels like, oh, the set designer showed up late today. Uh, (laughs) Well, we gotta make this work. Uh, We don't have Jennifer Garner all day. She has to leave in like an hour. Uh, Let's set up some sandbags. (laughs) It's really funny. Uh, And then, yeah, Bullseye shows up. Yeah, not in a suit. Uh... Just still his normal thing. He's like, don't worry, they're making my suit. It takes time, it turns out. Yeah, Elektra and Daredevil fight, and she wins. Because, of course, Matt's holding back, and Elektra's going in for the kill. Right, right. He takes off his mask, and we're really going through the whole Harry uh, Peter story in 20 minutes. Yeah, uh uh-huh. He's like, oh no, I'm sorry for killing you. Yeah, I did kind of murder you. That's like... Uh, but actually, Bullseye did it, and he's, he's probably gonna come after you, too. Yep, he does throw a sigh through Elektra's hand, and that's that's never good. You hate to see it. Yeah, that does make it hard to to hold things. She does just... There's a long scene of her pulling this sigh out of her hand. <laughs> yeah, the special effects guy showed up for this one. <laughs> yeah, listen, we were too busy setting up this shot to worry about the sandbags looking good. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, it's just, it's not bloody at all, which is also kind of funny, but, like, yeah, she's just really slowly pulling this thing out of her hand. I don't like it. If if I was a fan of the Electra character, Uh I would be pretty disappointed that, like, 
She got all suited up, ready for a big action scene, and then she immediately gets owned. Yeah, it's the fucking Videl Dragon Ball problem. Because <laughs> I, I know Electra dying and coming back is like a famous storyline in Daredevil, but you, you gotta build it up a little more. You know a lot more about Daredevil than I do. <laughs> it's like the, the famous Daredevil cover is like Daredevil holding Electra's body. Okay, yeah. Yeah, again, this movie felt like... They just tried to do too many things at once, and, like, they kind of do them all, but they're all just so truncated. Yeah, at this point, I I didn't realize I was so close to the end of the movie. It just kind of jumps into Act 3. It really does. It's just, it's, you're right that it has, like, third act problems like a lot of these movies do, but not in the same way that Marvel movies do these days. We're like, those movies are just like, all right, well, we're bored of talking. So now just here's a CGI army for us to shoot lasers at. This is more just like, I don't know. It, it just feels so weird. We're jumping around from scene to scene. And like, I guess there's a connective tissue to it, but it's so fast that like you blink and you don't know what's going on anymore. From here on, he's just going to kill Bullseye and then kill the Kingpin and so forth. Yeah. Like, there's, there's, there's not going to be any, like, uh, reckoning with Electra's death or anything like that. Right, right. Yeah, he kills Electra. Bullseye takes out a rose that I guess he got from Kingpin and rubs it on his bullseye <laughs> scar. <laughs> I got to give it a little bit of my own mustard on it. Yeah, man, they really linger on, like, Electra being fucking hurt and choked. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how you know that he's a bad guy, that he's hurting the lady. Yeah, I guess that's how you know that he's the bad guy. Right. And then this kind of wraps us back around to the start of the movie where the priest finds the daredevil. But it turns out he's not dying. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> he did get stabbed in the heart, but he's fine. Uh-huh, yeah. And then he fights Bullseye. They're, like, both hanging by his wire thing from, like, a pipe from the giant pipe organ and trying to choke each other. Well, then a bunch of bats fly out because this is just the most church ever. Look at how fucking gigantic this pipe organ is. It's really big. This would be, like, if this actually existed, this would be like, uh, come to this New York church famous for the world's biggest pipe organ. <laughs> They're, like, doing Assassin's Creed parkour on the pipe organ. They're in, like, the fucking Banjo-Kazooie haunted house level and, like, the <laughs> church in that. God, it's so... It's, like, multiple stories tall. Yeah, this is... This must be so fucking loud. <laughs> yeah, how did... Like, echoing through all the, the stone walls, too? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need earplugs to go... No wonder he doesn't show up for church. I like when uh, they break the glass and Bullseye just like perfectly catches all the shards of glass in his hand so he can throw them. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, yeah, Daredevil just does the same exact fucking... This is a shot straight from Spider-Man when he does the Matrix dodge from the Green Goblin's like <laughs> spiky pumpkin bombs. Yeah. It's the same exact shot. Except I think Spider-Man twists when he does it. <laughs> And then uh, he ends up busting a hole in both of Bullseye's hands, giving him stigmata. I don't yeah. really know why they're invoking this. I don't either. No. <laughs> it's like, uh, this is a Catholic thing, I guess. Right. But why is Bullseye Jesus Christ? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so Bullseye gets taken away. Um, and then, yeah, I guess they solve the murder mystery, right? Yeah, they, they 
they confront Wilson Owen Welch in the bar and all the cops are going to the kingpin. I gotta say, it's confusing to me that Wilson Fisk's uh, right-hand man is Wilson Owen Welch. That's too similar a name. <laughs> That's how he confuses people. You g- <laughs> no one can find out who he is. <laughs> <laughs> because they find the name Wilson, they're like, well, that must be Wilson Owen Welch. Right, of course. The Kingpin is just staring out the window into the rainy city. He tells the W.O.W. to send the guards home. I know Daredevil's coming for me. I'm from the Bronx, and you wouldn't understand that we have to do this one-on-one. Right. Uh Uh-huh. So then they fight in Kingpin's office. And again, I'm never mad when I see Michael Clark Duncan on screen. But, you know, I just don't feel like Kingpin has really been set up as, like, they haven't had any scenes together. Yeah, I was going to say, this is their first interaction. Yeah, like, they had the very brief conversation at the party, and now this, and that's it. And and he doesn't even know about Matt Murdock. This is his first interaction with Daredevil. Right, like, going back to Spider-Man 1, Green Goblin, like, first of all, they have multiple fights. They, like, talk to each other both in and out of, like, character. Like, you know, Green Goblin has a little thing where he, like, kidnaps Spider-Man and tries to convince him to be a bad guy. This is just like, oh, yeah, oh, well, you found me. Let's fight now. This feels very much like, and I i mean, Kingpin just feels like this kind of villain in general. Like, you got to the end of the brawler level, and now it's time to f- the, for the boss fight. Yeah, he does feel like a very perfunctory video game boss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they fight each other, and he kills the Kingpin. Oh, he doesn't kill yeah. him. Or he doesn't kill the Kingpin. No, he doesn't. Because he's not the bad guy. Oh my gosh. He- <laughs> this is the thing with superhero movies. Right. Sometimes they're like, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little fucked up that, you know, yeah. I, 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 I like beat guys up. Then the only alternative they come to is sending them to prison. Yes. Yeah, it's it's not great. And it's also very much, I guess he doesn't kill that many people, but it does feel a bit of the thing of like, well, I'm going to kill all the minions, but I will spare the boss. And that's how you know I'm a good guy. Yeah, he did just kill Bullseye. I mean, he Bullseye lived, but he doesn't know that. Right. Yeah. He may as like he it is attempted murder at best. I do like that the Kingpin is winning this fight until uh, Matt sits off a sprinkler so he can see better. Right. Yeah. That's a good little callback. Like ah, this movie. I kind of get why you would make Daredevil into a TV show because you want time to do a bunch of legal drama shit. This movie would be way better to me if you could like streamline it so that like the Kingpin does hire them and he's having to like juggle like, well, I'm trying to do like the actual law I care about defending like poor people, but I got to pay the bills and that means I got to work for the Kingpin. This sucks. But also I can fight him as the Daredevil and like actually build up like a relationship between the two. You know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be a great Daredevil storyline. Yeah. And it'd be a whole thing of like, oh, because he's his lawyer, he has access to privileged information that then the daredevil can act on. Yeah, but oh, God, but that's unethical. That's that breaks his lawyer confidentiality. <laughs> it doesn't matter if his client's not innocent. That's true. That's true. Uh, we get a shot of the daredevil mask and uh, a bunch of rose petals in like a pool of blood that's getting washed away by the water. It's a good image. I think I think the classic McCuckham line, visually yeah. fine film. I will say visually a fine shot. I don't know if I'm going to say the whole film is visually fine. I think they had, I think this movie had like some ideas. Like, and I think that they definitely like 
had a vision in mind, but I don't know if they fully, like, nailed what they wanted. Again, because I think they tried to make, like, two movies at the same time. Yeah, this is, like, halfway, like, a 90s Batman. Yeah. But, like, heading into the digital era. Right, right. And with, uh, 2003 soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Coolio's been acquitted. Everyone's happy. It's all good. Good, good time for everybody. Yeah, pr- pretty pretty straight up B ending. Turns out nobody actually died. Yeah, uh-huh. Electra lived somehow, implied by her necklace hanging on the rooftop. Right. Uh Bullseye lived in the hospital and he can he can kill a fly even though his whole body's in a cast. Right, he just has two fingers, but that's enough. And the the reporter just like doesn't he just start like deleting his story? Because he's he's figured it out, but ah, uh, he's a good guy. I won't I won't fucking blow up his spot. I like that his figure hovers over the print and delete keys on his keyboard. <laughs> that's how that's how newspapers work. Uh-huh. When you delete, it slowly uh, backspaces through everything. Right, he just holds the backspace down. No, he he taps delete, but it <laughs> it looks like holding the backspace down. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's the daredevil. This is a good one to close out the Marvel era of this show. Sure, yeah, yeah. Kind of go back to before it was MCU. Not Certainly no Hulk, right? Yeah, we gotta remind ourselves that there were also mediocre movies before the MCU. <laughs> Definitely, they didn't invent mediocre movies. Yeah, this one is, is mediocre in its own special way. Yeah, and again, this one is mediocre in a way that makes me feel nostalgic. <laughs> I miss this type of mediocrity. I love hearing Evanescence. Yeah. I love seeing seeing uh, Michael Clark Duncan and Colin Farrell. Yeah, yeah. I love when he throws that paperclip at that guy. I love when he T-poses up the escalator. <laughs> Just give me a bullseye movie. Fuck yeah, I would watch a bullseye movie. <laughs> they should make more villain movies. They should. Listen, Venom 1. Venom was a good movie. I mean, you're a villain, you can just do whatever. Heroes have to uh, follow their their stupid rules. You are getting more and more fucking Lex Luthor pilled every time we talk. Uh, I this you way. watched Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and you're just every day like, well, but Lex Luthor has some good points, actually. The only thing is that that is the weakest of the Snyder films. In my oh, well, excuse me. Uh, but man, the only one I've seen is Man of Steel and I did not like that movie, so. It's a great flick. Oh, I disagree. It, I, no, I felt this when I was watching um, Birds of Prey, The Emancipation of Fantagulous Harley Quinn or whatever. There's a whole scene where they're just like in the police station beating the shit out of the cops. And I'm like, yeah, oh, Daredevil couldn't do this. Right. That is true. You can do this because she's a villain. Right. So what you're saying is they need to make a Shadow of the Hedgehog movie. God, they should make a Shadow of the Hedgehog movie. I mean, we'll see what happens with Sonic 3. It'd be, it'd be nice if Sonic 3 was a good film. <laughs> I watched Sonic 2 and it was kind of charming. A lot of it was yeah, really bad. Yes, it was kind of charming. There were, there were bits that I enjoyed in it. If you had to uh, rate this film on a letter scale, not a star scale. Sure, yeah. And therefore, uh, you know, minuses and pluses are appropriate. Sure. What would you rate it? I think I'm giving it just a flat C. Hmm, I'm, I'm close to that. I'm close to that. I might give it uh a C plus. Yeah, I, I I can see that. I'm definitely like, if I was gonna tip one way or the other, it would be towards C plus rather than C minus. But I, I think just flat C. You know what? You did your assignments. 
you get to pass my class. Were you, like, the top performing student? No. No, you weren't. But, you know, that only one kid gets to be, and that's fine. I think this is one of those movies where, like, you watch clips on YouTube, and you're like, oh, this seems like a pretty good movie. And then you watch yeah. the whole movie, and it's like, oh, the clips I saw on YouTube were good. <laughs> yes, totally. In part because, especially when it starts speeding up in the back half, it basically is just a disconnected set of clips. Like, you just go so fast from a trial scene, to Electra training, to Electra fighting Daredevil, to the Electra's dead now, to Daredevil fighting a different guy. Yeah, really weirdly paced, especially since, like, it takes so long to get started. It is so wild to me that they did a director's cut, like, over a decade later that makes the movie 30 minutes longer, and none of that time is spent, like, putting more connective tissue between those scenes. Yeah. <laughs> Like, even with the extra 30 minutes, it feels hopelessly rushed. Yeah, I don't think there's really any way to fix the back half. Yeah. I'll say, I I like the flashback stuff uh, with uh, Kid Matt. I think that's fun. I like Matt and Foggy hanging out. Like, when they're just in the cafe, just shooting the shit, like, you're right, it totally doesn't really fit in the movie, but, like, it's charming. Yeah, I do like their banter. Yeah, like, that's a scene where I watched it, it was immediately like, oh, yeah, this is why you make that Netflix TV show, because you could do a lot more scenes like this when you have a whole TV show to work with. Although they didn't do a lot of scenes like that in the TV show. Yeah, I feel like early on they did. In the first, like, half of the first season. In my memory, a lot of that show was Foggy and Matt having, like, A and B plots. I think it eventually turns into that, but I feel like they, they hung out at the law office sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We have some questions. Okay. Jason asks, is it a better or worse representation of the comics than the Adam West Batman film? Uh, the Adam West Batman film is like a perfect representation of a certain type of Batman comic, so worse, I guess? Um, I guess this is generally not really considered a faithful adaptation of the Frank Miller Daredevil comics. Yeah, I think it is too, like, 2000s-y. Like, I have not read Frank Miller Daredevil, I haven't read any Daredevil, but in my mind it's very, like, flashes of red and darkness and, like, lots of, like, inky black panels and stuff like that, and that's definitely not what this movie looks like. What are the most faithful adaptations? Well, again, I would honestly say Batman the movie is up there. Um, I think you're right. Parts of the original Superman movie, kind of, but they're sort of limited by the technology. Yeah. Like, I think it's as faithful as they could have been, given where special effects were in the 70s. I'm just thinking of the way, like, every modern Batman movie kind of readapts the same few comic stories. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's so many long Halloween movies. Right, they just, yeah, everyone just loves the long Halloween, and that's, like, the vibe for Batman for a lot of people. And, like, that's fine, but, you know, he's done other stuff, too. Sometimes he fights Batmite. We should get a Batmite movie. We should fucking see Batmite. Batmite's such a great concept. Yeah. Listen, as longtime fans of audio entropy will know, I fucking love a Mr. Mix's Spitalick, and just making him also a Batman fan, yeah, let's do it. Need more Mixy Spitalick. The, the problem is if they did Mr. Mix's Pedalic, it'd be like that one fucking Alan Moore story where it turns out he's like actually a Lovecraftian monster and the funny little man in a bowler cap is just sort of like how he presents sometimes. Fuck that. I wish he would Alan less. <laughs> to be fair, I think he also wishes he had Alan less. <laughs> Hannah asks, It's always fascinating me how Jennifer Garner spent the early 2000s getting cast as the most sensual leather woman in the world. Then overnight, a switch flipped, and she's got nothing but brittle suburban mom roles since. 
Do you think this is just because of how Hollywood treats women as they start to age? Or is there something about her vibe in this movie that you think also contributed to it, since it was made near the tail end of her leather babe era? I don't know if there's anything specific about Jennifer Garner in here that would be that. It's definitely a lot of just how Hollywood treats women. And I feel like Leather Babe was just also one of the main types of hot ladies that was in pop culture at the time. I'm trying to think of another Jennifer Garner Leather Babe movie. I'm trying to think of another Jennifer Garner movie. (laughs) I'm bad with actors unless they're like, unless they're a Joey Pants type. Then I remember them. Um, Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. Okay. I don't, I have not seen that, but I'm going to guess she's not a leather babe in that one. Uh, dude, where's my car? She might be a leather babe in that one. Haven't seen it either. Mr. Magoo. Uh, who's she in Catch Me If You Can? Oh, it's just a cameo. Okay. Uh, Her next film after this is 13 Going On 30. Sure. Which I feel like that's, well, but then Electra comes after that. Because I'm going to say 13 Going On 30, that's a big flip from this. Yeah, well, I guess the thing about her being a leather babe in this film is that she doesn't spend a lot of time in the leather outfit, and most of that screen time is spent getting choked. (laughs) I feel like that's part of the leather babe thing, though. I feel like the leather babe is usually one doing the choking. Well, as long as both people are wearing leather, then who can say? Like, you know, if you look at the uh, classic of leather babe cinema, Underworld. Sure. She's the one shooting the shooting the werewolves. Absolutely, yes. I agree. Uh, or, you know, Resident Evil, I feel like, is a similar vibe. Yes. 13 Go Gone 30, I remember being a fun movie when I was, like, a kid. The only thing I remember that movie is the very end of it, when she, like, presents to the to the magazine owners that... They should make a magazine that isn't bad. Yes. Uh-huh. And they're like, wow, you've really touched my heart. I'm going to make this magazine good. Right. Um, the Moon Rules asks, what is the level of crime you could overlook as a superhero to hook up with your love interest? Um, well, what about you, Crystal? Uh, a lot. Yeah. I feel like, you know, black cat, cat woman, classic love interest. They love to steal. Steal, sure. easy to overlook. Murder? You know, if it's the right kind of murder. Depends on the victim. Yeah, depends on the murder. Uh, what's some other crimes? Torrenting? I don't care. <laughs> I like that that's your go-to crime. I mean, it's, it's easily one of the top ten crimes. You know, uh, you know, constructing a building without the appropriate permits, you know. Well, well, no, I mean, construction safety. I mean, people are going to live in that building. Well, yeah, so I suppose it depends. I'm not, I'm thinking less safety permits and more, you know, like zoning permits. Like this is a residential area. You cannot build a, you know, business here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind her like, you know, running a home business. Imagine <laughs> a, a super villain that's just like a Yimby who just wants to put like, ah, I'm committing fraud to trick construction companies into building affordable housing and walkable areas in suburban <laughs> regions. <laughs> You'll never stop me, Batman. In conclusion, crimes are all right. (laughs) Most crimes are all right. If you were using the barter system to pay back Murdoch and Nelson for their services, what would you pay with? Oh, what would I pay with? What do I, what do I have to give them other than money? (laughs) Um, podcasts. They can have these Smash Bros Amiibos, I guess. (laughs) I like having them, but if they get me off for murder, then they they can have my little Mac. What's Matt's Amiibo? Which one did you give to Matt? Oh, yeah, okay. If I'm picking them out for them, um, hmm, that's a good question. I feel like the one that jumped to mind for me for Matt is I've got the, the, the Terry Fatal Fury one that I think that might suit him. Yeah, I can see that. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, for for Foggy, I'm thinking of K. Rule, maybe. Okay, what about Karen? Karen, I mean, she's in this movie for about 10 seconds. She's the one who cracks open the whole mystery, Luke. Does she? I forgot about that part. I just remember her trying to flirt with Matt and Matt being like, go fuck yourself. She's the one who uh, flips the W, the M-O-M. We literally didn't talk about her <laughs> for this entire podcast. I mentioned her? <laughs> I mentioned that she flipped it turn ways. Uh, I'm going to give her Princess Peach because uh, both of them, their only character is girl. Yeah. Okay. Um, next question from the Moon Rules. Have you ever spent time in a deprivation chamber? No, I've never done it. Have you? No, I'd like to, though. It seems fun. I'd try it. Yeah. Floating in the water. I love to float. Floating, one of the top 10 things to do in water. <laughs> well, now I got to hear your full list. Um, f- uh, In no particular order, floating, swimming. Sure. Uh, Drinking. Okay, okay. Interesting that cracks the top ten. I feel like drinking water that you're in is a <laughs> is a dicey proposition most times. Um, immersion. Okay. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> feel like that largely gets covered by floating or swimming, but I'll allow it. Well no, because you can swim like you know on top of the water. Sure, sure, I understand. That's why I'm uh, I'm allowing it, but watch yourself. Splashing. I think I'm at I'm at six. Sure. Uh that's uh I'm counting five, but go on. Uh, sort of like making waves or ripples gently. Oh, sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. Uh, sort of just like gently resting your hand on top of it, like trying not to break the surface tension. Oh, sure. Okay, but is that a thing you do in water? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, if I'm mostly in a pool, I can still do that with my hands. All right, all right, all right. Um, let's see, I gotta do three more? Yeah, yeah, three more. Okay, uh... Whew. Which you, of course, know, because you know your top ten. Um, you know I know my top ten. <laughs> uh, 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 reading a nice book. Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. Um, Sort of uh, just, like, like pressing myself against, like, the edge of the pool and stretching my arms out. Okay. You know, like, on the concrete. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um... And then sort of just like, sort of like perching against it, like a gargoyle, like against the wall with your feet, like mm-hmm. pretending you're like Ezio or something. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You did it. There we go. Ten things. I did it. I wasn't <laughs> bullshitting you. No. <laughs> uh, do you think Daredevil's equipment was made by people paying back Matt for his lawyer services? <laughs> He helped out a fucking like uh uh like leather club at some point. Yeah. Like what Matt, you can't just keep it they they paid us in leather jumpsuits. What are we gonna do with these? <laughs> uh he helped uh, like a guy who owned a radio shack, paid him in the sound system. Right, uh I don't know who he helped to get nunchucks connected by Garrett wire that can turn into a blind cane. You know, like a like a martial artist, man. Sure. Uh, leaving a rose on your victim's body. Cool calling card or kind of tacky? Cool calling card. What would you leave as a calling card? Oh, what's my calling card? Hmm. Do do you have something in mind? I think my calling card would be like, uh, like a single uncooked penne. (laughs) I'd like, you know, stick it somewhere where it won't fall out, like, you know. You know, well, you need two two uncooked penes, one on each eye, so they can pay the toll across the river. No, 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 not in the eye. I, I put it in like like their pants pocket or something, and then like oh. the you know Agent Cooper would like carefully take it out with his tongs and be like the penny killer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting one pog on each eye so they can pay the toll across the river. <laughs> The thing about penny is that you, you can't track it. What are you? 
What do you mean? <laughs> you need to elaborate on the sentence you just spoke to me. Like, the thing about Penne is that you can't track it. I guess it doesn't have any like. It doesn't have any serial numbers. You got me there. It doesn't. You know, like sometimes in the in the these detective movies, they're like they like find something the killer left behind, and they like find out where they bought it or something. Uh huh. You can't do that uh-huh. with Penny. Uh, I, I regret to inform you. I guess you don't know that each penne has its own uh, unique ballistics for the little ridges on the outside. Uh, Batman's gonna reconstruct the penne. <laughs> He's got Bruce Wayne's got five tables with red and white checkerboard tablecloths and five plates of penne. He's gonna eat one bite from each plate, and the computer's gonna analyze it, and then he'll know it was the Joker. <laughs> The thing is, it doesn't even lead him to the Joker. It just leads him to some fucking basement. No, right. The thing about that is that Batman uses uh, impossible cyber technology to reconstruct the bullet to find a fingerprint that was on the bullet. And it turns out the Joker anticipated he would do that. And it was a setup all along. Stupid move. What a dumb fucking movie. I can't wait to talk about it eventually. <laughs> uh, J. Bob asks, how's the soundtrack? Great. I loved middle school. It is wild to me to think that there were people that were different ages than me in 2003 because every song from 2003 sounds like the soundtrack to middle school to me. Yeah, I was 10 years old. And I can't think of it in any other context. Uh, Rexy asks, in this strange and complex world of using violence to enact justice, sure, could Daredevil be considered the bad guy? Um, no, because he he fights a crime lord. He fights the guy that controls all crime. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is good to defeat the kingpin of crime. Right. Because listen, I know we said that most crimes are okay, but he does even the ones that aren't. So yeah, I guess he's he's not the bad guy. That kid is just a little crybaby. <laughs> yeah, that kid needs to get the fuck over it. <laughs> uh, Cameron asks, do you kind of miss the days when superhero movies weren't taken very seriously? Uh, in some ways, yeah. I don't feel like this movie is is super unserious. It is. It's not that it's unserious. It does have a different vibe to it, though, where it is just a little like. I don't know. There's like not an irony to it, but it's very like this. This is so cool and badass. You don't even believe it. Look at this guy throwing a paperclip. Wow. As opposed to like you were saying the MCU thing of like, (laughs) we're all sensible adults. here. we're going to have a good chuckle about the Iron Man being an Iron Man because that's just a little that's a little far fetched. But also it's very serious and you need to take it seriously, but not too seriously. I guess the word I use to describe that is prestige. You know, that's on the same spectrum as like. Uh, Sony games and HBO shows. It doesn't quite... I don't know what vibe I would say. I guess they sometimes dipped in that direction in, like, Civil War or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what... MCU feels, like, very, like, oh, listen, it's very important that you care about this, but you're also kind of a dork for caring about this. Am I right? In a way that I don't think HBO, like, Mad Men doesn't think you're a dork for caring about Mad Men, you know? That's true. Which is not an HBO show, but I couldn't pull an HBO show mid-sentence. Tony Sopranos. Yep, that's that one right there. Um, and that's the end of our questions. Great. Look, where can you use anything you like to plug? Where are you going to find you online? 
Uh, if you want to find me, you're going to have to do that penne analysis. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just go to twitter.com and search for SSJ Speed Racer, where you can find other shows that I do, such as Totally Reprise Has Always Been Cool, a Twin Peaks podcast where we are uh, wrapping up the end of the original run of Twin Peaks right now. Getting ready to watch uh, the film Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. Uh, it's, it's a good time, baby. De cinema. And uh, you can also listen to Eidolon Playtest, a show I'm not on much right now, but it is still my game that we're playing. Eidolon, become your best self. Crystal's on it. Yeah, I'm on that one. Crush Crush is coming out right now. I'm on that show. I'm Walter Wednesday. You sure are. You can find me at Arcane Crystal. You can also find me on the Book of Medora podcast. Let's close out with a Daredevil joke. The only Daredevil joke we can do, since there's only one film. Yeah, that's true. So this better be fucking good. (laughs) The pressure's on. What do the Scarlet Witch and Daredevil have in common? Mm, Well, they both tend to wear dark red. That's my answer. They both lost their vision. Uh, I feel like I should do a second one. I didn't didn't get a real laugh. Yeah, listen, again, you only got one shot at this one. Yeah, take it again. Take it again. Okay, okay. Um... Why can't Daredevil drive a car? Um, it seems like, obviously, he is blind, and although he does have super senses, I think the sound of the engine and the vibration of the engine would interfere too much with his, uh, his touch and, and hearing to really, uh, help him drive. Because he's from New York! Ah, from New York, nobody drives there! The, the Big Apple! Gotham! I'm walking here. I'm wa- He's walking here. He can't drive. <laughs> isn't there a scene in this movie where they they do that? Like, he almost gets hit by a taxi. He's like, I love New York. Yeah, they, they do. You're right. He's like, I got a blind guy here. And the taxi driver's like, well, so use the crosswalk. <laughs> Next time, we will watch the film Batman. Yes. Came out in 1966. The it second sure Batman did. film. Hell yeah, baby. Your favorite film. It is up there. Uh, catch me on the right day, and yes, it's my favorite film. Uh, do we have a name for the, the, this era of the podcast that we're entering? Oh, boy. Um, MCU, what's another? I'm going to just look up Tom Cruise rom-coms real quick. Show me the money. Um, oh, yeah. Do we have another? Because, that, that, you know, Jerry Maguire movie with a lot of quotes. Uh, let me look up Jerry Maguire quotes. Because even though I've seen it, uh, it's it's fading fast from memory. Let's see. What, what do we got here? These quotes are terrible. Come on. <laughs> um, I'm looking at Screen Rant's 14 best Jerry Maguire quotes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Breakdown, no. Breakthrough. Okay. That's how you become great, man. Hang your balls out there. Okay. I was 35. I had started my life. No. I think in this age, optimism is a revolutionary act. No. Um. Do we want to just call it DCEU completely? <laughs> That's weak. <laughs> the human head weighs eight pounds. Yeah, you're right. We got so much good material to work with. Help me help you. That there could be something there. That's that's sure. moldable. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I feel for you, man, but a real man wouldn't shoplift from a single mom. Yeah. A real a real superhero wouldn't shoplift from no. Show me the money. Show me the DC. Show. You me. see, show me the Marvel almost works, but we're not. That, that's the problem. Don't cry at the beginning of a date, cry at the end, like I do. Don't don't cry at the beginning of a Batman, cry at the... Uh, no. DC. I mean, yeah, DC is a specific figure. Uh-huh. Um, 
<laughs> there is the line, that's more than a dress, that's an Audrey Hepburn movie. We could go with, that's more than a dress, that's a DC movie. It's more than a dress, that's a DC movie. That feels kind of long. Yeah, you're right. I feel like it has to be a play on show me the money or help me help you. Yeah, okay. Um, hmm. <sighs> help me help you. I, I don't know. I don't know, Crystal. This seems <laughs> tough. MCU Complete Me, it just came to us. MCU Complete Me was perfect. It was perfect. And then The Matrix has you at a low? Also perfect. What could have been better? You know what? L listeners, let me know. Write in. We'll figure it out next time. <laughs> yeah, by next time, we will know what this podcast is called now. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>